0: What is up ladies and gentlemen? My name is Austin Jardine. This is the Vanguard Project. Happy freaking Monday. Hey, before we get started, do me a quick favor. Hit that like, subscribe button to stay up to date on all the weekly episode drops. Then head over to the Instagrams and give me a quick follow where you can see uh, see what life is like beyond on the mic and uh, keep involved in uh, in the community that I'm doing my due diligence to help build up. But uh, I hope you all had a, a great weekend. Uh, I got out this past Saturday to uh, jump into my first two gun match and it was a blast, you know, running around. Uh, it was kind of fun because uh, the match my buddy talked me into was uh, kind of a free-for-all you could take pretty much whatever you wanted to shoot whatever gear and kit that you could uh, could carry around or tote around and uh, we were out there running around with plates and belts and all that fun stuff and it was a a whole heck of a lot of fun so it was kind of nice because I was actually able to find ammo on the shelf for it and uh, you know it didn't cost necessarily an arm and a leg but it was still a ton of fun so I would encourage you to uh, go find something to do. Uh, this next weekend. See if you can't find something fun to get after or go try, try something new, get a little bit outside your comfort zone. But uh, you know, as a refresher, uh, if you're new to this podcast, uh, my goal with these, uh, with the interviews really uh, is is to sit down with folks and uh, have them share their stories. And uh, my my intent is uh, best summed up, or at least I hope it's best summed up as uh, growth through story and strength through community. So what I mean by that is that uh, as I sit down with these folks, uh, we dive into their lives, understand how they get to where they're at, uh, giving you some insights. uh, or different ways of thinking uh, to help you move forward or kind of like I said, help you find a community to join in on. So uh, I do my best uh, to let the interviewee share their life experiences and uh, dive into what they've learned and give you uh, something to chew on throughout the week. And uh, I have been super fortunate because uh, over the almost year now uh, that I've been doing this podcast, I've been extremely fortunate to have partnered with a couple different companies. One of which is actually Black Rifle Coffee. I'm a huge Black Rifle fan. Over the past couple of years, I've actually uh, met quite a few folks from the BRCC world, and... Love them all. They're all amazing people. They've helped me get to where I'm at and really pushed me forward and uh, motivated me and inspired me in a lot of different ways. But their coffee is phenomenal. One of my favorites is actually the Power Llama, believe it or not. It's uh, super, super smooth, very flavorful. It's not super uh, robust necessarily. It's something that I like to uh, fill my coffee cup up all day long. I uh, I used to uh, fill up a thermos, a 40-ounce thermos uh, in the morning, take it to work with me, and uh, that is what I would drink until it was gone. So uh be sure to use code Vanguard get you 20% off pretty much not quite everything, but uh, most things on Black Rifle's website, including uh, coffee subscription, single serves, uh, some of the gear that they've got as well. So you be sure to use code Vanguard get you twenty percent off Black Rifle's website. That's code Vanguard twenty percent. But I'm gonna stop talking, and we're gonna roll an awesome episode with Mr., with Mister Dylan, and we're gonna talk about some search and rescue stuff with uh, him and uh, and Jacoby. So uh, I will catch you all next time. But I hope you have a wonderful week. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. My name is Austin Jardine, and I'm I'm excited. Uh, I'm got Mr. Dylan on the phone with me, and uh, he's uh, a search and rescue guy. Done some pretty fun stuff, doing stuff uh, in the National Guard, uh, some volunteer search and rescue. You and I actually, I think, linked up uh, on the phone. You called me a couple of weeks ago. I was on my way out of work, and uh, we BS for like half an hour. I think it was like the whole drive home, and I'm excited because you do a lot of fun, cool stuff that I don't think maybe people necessarily know a whole lot about, uh, let alone know uh, how to train up a dog to do it. So I'm excited to hear your story, dude. And I don't really want to take your whole intro away, but if you don't mind, maybe just introducing yourself a little bit and uh, and Jacoby, and uh, we'll just start chatting and uh, get to know you a little bit.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah. they. So my name is Dylan Nelson. Hi. am in what's called cadaver work so jacoby is a belgian malinois he uh is nationally certified with the uspca which is united states police canine association so we are not under any kind of like what your typical search and rescue dog would look like because when everybody thinks of search and rescue dogs they think of usar dogs which is urban search and rescue so Mm. We have dabbled a little bit into that, Um, not a whole lot, but most of the stuff we do is law enforcement based, you know, helping with murder cases and stuff like that, doing body recovery stuff. So, and that is something that's pretty rare. Um, Not a whole lot of people know it even exists. Uh, Some departments that we show up and help out, they don't even know what it is. Okay. So, yeah, so it's kind of a different, different thing. Um, but definitely, definitely needed a needed asset for sure. Yeah.
0: So I know you were talking and I know that there's a lot of other certifications that you guys have done and training that you've gone through to kind of really bring Jacoby up into kind of a niche of his own, right? Before we maybe go down that rabbit hole, how did you, I guess, start into the search and rescue world? Like where did it all start with you and you and the doc?
1: So, um, I got Jacoby, I was living by myself, uh, and I got Jacoby just kind of as a, a companion, and my initial idea was to train him to do what's called shed hunting, um, Mm -hmm. it's where they go find shed antlers when deer and elk and stuff like that come out of rut, they'll shed their antlers, uh, so I thought that was pretty cool, because I was super into hiking, Uh, And before that I was stationed in Great Falls, Montana. And so, yeah, so I was up there for three, almost four years and you couldn't keep me inside. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So when I moved to Georgia uh, I wanted to do something that was going to keep me active outside. So, but I wanted somebody to do it with. So I got him from a little a little breed, backyard breeder from Alabama, um, and he just was a handful. I didn't know. <laughs> I had done a little bit of research about the breed, uh, and most of the stuff I read was like, do not get these dogs. They're not pets. They're, this, that, and the other. They're super hard. And only like super experienced people should get them. So, and I was like, well, whatever, I'll just do it. So, and I went and got him and good Lord, I, I knew nothing about training a dog. (laughs) Yeah. It was, it was definitely an experience and a half. And we had, it was kind of one of those things where it was trial by fire and I had to adapt and figure it out. So, yeah. And then, as I was doing his, I actually got, I was like at a loss at one point I had talked to some, some different trainers and was getting all kinds of conflicting like opinions about what I should do with him and this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, I jumped on Amazon one night. I was on Amazon and ordered a book by Mike Ritland called, uh, train your dog, like a Navy seal. So <laughs> I ordered, I was like, well, that sounds promising. So I ordered that thing, read through it, and it opened my eyes to so much, and got him to the point where he was rock solid with obedience. Uh, and I had taken him out to do a couple things, and then uh, there was a breeder that said, "You know, hey, that that dog looks like he's made for search and rescue." So yeah. I kind of. kind of put the bug in my ear and I was like, Oh, well, I don't know what I exactly what I would do and this, that, and the other. So I went out and kind of volunteered and kind of went to training with some of the different volunteer teams around the state and kind of learned what was out there and the different basically paths you can take in search and rescue. So there's like live find, uh, there's specific trailing, and then there's cadaver. Mm -hmm. Um, So to me, it was easier to do cadaver because I didn't I didn't have to borrow people to go hide for for me. I could just set the stuff out and then let him go find it. So and I was able to work with him a lot longer. So like I could do short 10-minute training sessions and then keep it, you know, I could do it all night basically and get him up to speed like I wanted him. And he he took to it he was a rock star with it and he that was what he wanted to do and there was a time where i didn't know if that was necessarily what not 100 decided on it yet whether that's what i wanted to do or not sure. and uh i tried to put him back on some antlers and he didn't want anything to do with it. <laughs> so, yeah so he uh definitely was made for it definitely has the the drive and the will to do it and loves loves to work so yeah yeah that's kind of how I got started and then um that was I mean we can dive into how
0: yeah yeah I actually was taking notes so um I've kind of gotten used to uh, to writing notes out because uh I'm thinking of questions along the way and it's kind of funny because like to your point about, you know, Malinois being, you know, live wires, you know, I've only ever probably been around one or two Malinois and they are so high strung. Like, I mean, I don't, I, our dogs, like we have, we have dogs that are family dogs, like they're inside and it's like, they're lazy, which is great. You know, it's like you throw the ball for 10 minutes and they're happy, you know, how did you like, what did it take for you not to give up on Jacoby and be like, dude, I'm done. Like, this is too much.
1: Um, I don't know. It. I've always been the type of person where like, if I start something, like I'm going to, I'm going to see it through. Like if something is, is, is challenging to me, then that means in my head anyway, what, like stuff that's difficult, like why, why, w- why would you want it to be easy kind of thing? Like yeah, that way in in the end, when you figure it out and say, Hey, you know, this is how far we came. It was, it's that more, much more rewarding. So I think that was a little bit of it. And then a part of it was the connection. So me and him were like the best of buds, but then when it came to training, it was okay. Now it's, we have to forget that aspect. And now we have to be coworkers yeah. in, a, in a sense. So it was, it was a difficult dynamic to try to balance. And so it was you know, even if we had like a rough day training, you know, and and things were just going every way possible, like the worst way, Mm -hmm. uh, we'd come home and then he would, he'd be super cool with me. And it was like, okay, well, we're going to figure it out together. So yeah, I think that's, that was the big main, the main part of why I didn't necessarily give up on him. And then as far as that is, the other on the other side of the coin is hey if we go the distance on this thing with search and rescue it's well i don't even care if i get one person mm-hmm. if i can find one person that's we did our job and we helped so that that the the search and rescue mission that aspect of it is hey helping somebody that can't help themselves at that moment in time and especially with us like we're going in after that survivability is gone we're going in after all the rescue efforts were exhausted and it's our job now to find the people who now don't have a voice to to yell out for help yeah so yeah it's it's nice to be able to go through that process and then be put in an environment of where hey we we, the firefighters and whoever we're deploying with, you know, did their due diligence and said, Hey, we, we can't find anybody, you know, can you guys go in and find them? And then we help them out and actually find them. That's the rewarding part of, Hey, we were able to bring that person home. Yeah. So that's the main part of why I was like, you know what, we're just going to figure it out.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And I know that there's a lot of things kind of down the, down the road, kind of remembering some of the conversation we had that, are, are going to be a lot of fun to, to kind of get to. And when it comes to that process of training Jacoby and kind of going through that, and honestly training yourself too, right, to say, you know, good day, bad day, let go of work when we get home, right? How long did that take for you guys to kind of break each other to a point where it's like, okay, great, we can work together, we can let go of it, and we know when we're on duty versus off? How long did that take?
1: Oh, man, probably up until he was about... A year, probably. I would say eight months. He started to make that transition of okay, I kind of get get the dynamic now. But yeah, for for a while there, I really really struggled with his aggression. Mm. That's like a big a big no no in the search and rescue world. So um, he, when he was, I think it, it started right around the time he was probably five six months old to the time he was about nine, 10 going on a year, he hated everybody. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was rough to kind of deal with sometimes I couldn't take him out in public. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with him because he just wants to bite everything. Yeah. So it, it definitely took a lot of training that out of him, uh, and a lot of, Hey, we're just going to throw the kitchen sink at you as far as socializing and, you're just going to have to be okay with it. (laughs) Yeah. He figured it out. He was like, Hey, if I want to work and want to get my toy and get paid, I have to be okay with people. So yeah, it was kind of, that was, that was probably the most difficult thing to overcome. And then once he figured that out, then it was okay. When, when I see him grab his pack and his, in my vest and stuff like that is it's go time. So his, his whole attitude changes and he's ready to load up in the car and go,
0: Yeah. So in those early stages, then of kind of training and breaking, uh, and I don't know if breaking is the right word, because I'm kind of equating it to breaking a horse, right? What was uh, what was maybe the biggest, biggest, or the most beneficial thing for you guys? And I'm asking so that if there's maybe other trainers or other folks out there that have maybe difficult dogs or trying to kind of meet the dog where they're at, right? What was the most beneficial thing for you that helped you guys get on the same page, other than just throwing the kitchen sink at him?
1: Um, so the, the most beneficial part was me understanding when he's uncomfortable. Okay. So when we could, when we walked into like a room full of crowded people, I could tell immediately that he was uncomfortable. Um, so basically what we would do is we would like super baby step it and say, Hey, you know, let's walk him to the door, let him see everybody, then go put him up, let him Mm -hmm. decompress. And so it was just a, a very slow process, but it was kind of one of those things where you just, you have to trust the process and trust it, you know, accept that there's going to be bad days where you're, go, you're like, you're making progress at a steady rate. And then all of a sudden it's, it's like, he's back to square one. Yeah. So yeah, it's just consistency and, and keeping up with his, his schedule and making it a routine thing. And then once it's a routine thing, it's, it's like another day at work.
0: Yeah. It's almost, it almost sounds like exposure therapy, right? Where it's like, we're going to deliberately stress you out one or like 1% extra every time.
1: Yep. Yeah. So we're constantly trying to meet that threshold and then back off and then threshold and back off.
0: Okay. Awesome. All right. So then you started to get the, uh, the SAR bug, the search and rescue bug in your ear, right? And uh, you said that you weren't quite really sure what route to go. You'd been working, had you, you said that you had brought or, you know, brought him into the shed hunting world. Then I can't recall, was cadaver like where you started to go right out of the gate or were you kind of poking around in the, the urban world first and kind of the other realms of search and rescue?
1: So I tried to go, I tried to see if he would do, Sense specific training. Uh, I did it. I did a couple, and at this point, I think he was. I think he was only like a few months old, and we were trying to see. Yeah, we were trying to see and expose him to some to some different things, and um, it was. We did the runaways, which is where they. So at that age, the dogs are super super dependent on their handler. You know, that's their world at that point, and that's all they trust and. So, I would do runaways, which you run like maybe five, 10 yards, maybe into a wood line or whatever, and you hide. And then whoever has the dog releases him. You, and you have to agitate them to get them, get their work drive going. And then um, basically they come find you. And then it, the, the game gets farther and farther away. But I looked into how much goes into those trailing dogs. And it was just something that I was not like going to like accept. I was like, I, I I know I was honest with myself and I knew that, Hey, I'm not going to put that much work into that just to try to do that. So then I started looking at cadaver and I, I started reading about how odor works and how air scenting dogs work and that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, that, that seems a little more up our alley and a little more, you know, what he's suited for. Um, so we went that route. And then after that, I never looked back. It was just cadaver the rest of the way.
0: Yeah. What do you, uh, do you mind kind of talking about the air scenting and odor? I mean, it seems self-explanatory, but I don't know what it means in terms of training a dog.
1: Yeah. So air scent uh, is basically the dog is scenting the air, mm-hmm. you know, they're looking for a specific odor that's in the air. Uh, and the best way to describe it is I don't know. Have you ever seen, uh, smoke bombs when they go off? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's pretty much what odor is doing. Uh, so basically what, when that happens, uh, you'll send the dog into an area that say, you know, they suspect the missing person to be. And if he hits that odor, he will start to work what's called a scent cone. Uh, so he will be and it looks like a basically like a triangle and he will work and run himself in and out of that scent cone until he whittles it all in the way interesting yep so and then if you'll see so like tracking dogs will keep their nose to the ground well his is up in the air
0: okay yeah so. interesting so um Okay. So I'm tracking, it's funny. I was processing that. Cause like, you know, you see, I've seen like videos of dogs, you know, like tracking scent and, but I never like understood like the zigzagging and in it ended in up being kind of a descending cone, the triangle. Right. And yep. when you, when you talk about the scent, and this is something that I was thinking about when we were talking a couple of weeks ago, how do you replicate the scent of um, a cadaver? Right. Because you said that you can do training practically whenever, right. I mean, do you have like decomposing body parts. is like a standard smell. How do you train in that regard?
1: Yeah. So I have actual cadaver. Uh, I have a separate freezer that I keep outside that everything is separated into their own cases. Um, so we have a lot of blood, uh, I have placenta. Um, I have, there was a guy that it's kind of a funny story. <laughs> they, they, he got, there was some guy that got into a motorcycle accident and lost his foot. They were like, Hey, we're not going to be able to, to repair that. So from the ankle down, uh, they amputated it. So he, the orthopedic surgeon was like, Hey, can, if do you want us to throw this away or you can donate it to these guys and they're, they're this is what they're using it for. And the guy was all about it. And so they, did all the anatomical donation paperwork and all that good stuff. And they walked his foot right out the front door of the hospital and handed it to me.
0: <laughs> How long did it take for you to get comfortable to have, I mean, this is going to sound crass, but like literally have body parts in a fridge outside. Like if I didn't know you, that would be a little psychotic, right? Like Yeah.
1: Yeah. So yeah, my parents still think it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. All right. Yeah, so we try, we try to mess with them any any chance we get. Yeah, so that's mean. Oh my yeah, god. So, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely was, it was a little, a little weird at first. Like when I first started bringing this stuff home, and I got the separate freezer and stuff like that. It, it was weird to think about, you know, because then it's like, hey, if somebody comes and you know looks at my house or. The cops for whatever reason, which I've had the cops called on me before. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they. It, it's like, how am I going to explain this? You know. So, but he's 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 gotten a reputation now where people are like, oh, okay, you know. So it's it's fitting. But yeah, it's not something that I like. I'm like, oh yeah, come check out. You know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not a party trick. <laughs> yeah, Did you have yeah. to get like credentialing for that, or is it kind of just like? i no. mean how does how does that work i mean like you you, you said they've got they've got donation paperwork i mean could the, you literally donate body parts to anybody i mean i have no idea how that world works
1: so you had yeah you have to have the credentials you know they they obviously look at our certifications and stuff like that um and, and when they you know hey is this going to a good you know what they're actually using it for what they're saying what they're going to use it for uh so yeah there there's a there's a process to it but yeah, as far, but then some of it I acquire myself. Like I, we have like doing forensic type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have little, little tiny sources where it's just a, like a cotton ball that's just dabbed in some blood. I'll have a nurse draw my blood and then that, she'll just take the tube and dump it right in a little container.
0: Mm, okay. And then your use of that. I mean, are you are you taking those things out into like the woods for training? I mean, or you have like, someone like friend family member co-worker somebody run it out drop it off and that's how you're training
1: yep yeah so my girlfriend bless her heart uh she's usually the one that goes and sets the stuff out for us because me as a handler i want to i want to test myself and not know where it's at because a lot of a lot of the problems are is so the the dogs they're extremely nonverbal. Uh, so they sit there and study you and study your body language and study everything about you. And they know all your little ticks and nuances and, and stuff like that. So out in the field, they cheat. So they they see if you're queuing in to where it's at or facing your body a certain way. So they'll, they'll try to cheat. Yeah. And say, Oh, okay, well, he's looking over here. So let me go look over there. So <laughs> if I don't know where it's at, it, it's a better... <laughs> a better training environment for him so yeah she'll she'll go out and set stuff out and bury it or put it in water or whatever we need and then she'll come back and be like okay it's good to go so and then we'll send him out how
0: oh my gosh how did you convince her to do that like like did you were you guys together before you started getting body parts or after like, I feel After. like that could be a deal breaker for some yeah.
1: people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely, definitely odd to explain. Yeah. Especially when we first started dating, I was like, Hey, this is, but luckily, luckily, she, she was working with dogs. So she kind of knew. So she was, okay. what's, what she was in what's called PSA, which is protection sports. So she was doing all the bite dog stuff. Mm, okay. So she, she's, so she's been around the breed. She knew about it. She knew how to work with them and stuff like that. It was just, hey you're in the protection world and you're crossing over to the dark side in a, in a way to the search and rescue world so yeah at first she she handled it like a champ though she never she never got sick never some of our flight crew like the helicopter crew chief i know one of them in particular he he gags every time we get <laughs>
0: It's so funny. It's so morbid, like I have to laugh, you know, like it, it sounds so ridiculous, but it's so it's so practical, you know, like it makes it makes perfect sense. So I know that you said kind of what sold you in the end on um you know the the cadaver work in search and rescue was was giving voice to people uh that don't have it, right?
1: Um, my biggest thing is is to my biggest thing that I tell people, cause I've had people, you know, say, Hey, how do I get involved? How do I, I do this and that my, my biggest thing is, Hey, spend the time in a support role. So get linked up with a volunteer team. Uh, and a lot of people try to rush it. Cause they're like, they see what we're doing and they see, you know, what, you know, the, fema use dogs are doing they, they they want to do that stuff so bad and it's like spend the time in a support role really know how search and rescue operates and then if you want to make that commitment then do it mm-hmm. and get a dog and, and go that route and then you then you have plenty of time shadowing handlers and and learning and you, then you really get a, a feel of what you and your personality can handle um that that's my biggest thing is because, let's be honest, that it, it's a it's a huge commitment. He's four, and I'll I'll still be working him probably till he's ten. And yeah. you know that's that's some people's careers. You know that's a long time. So that's definitely something that people don't think about, and they rush into it, and they get a dog, and they're like, oh, and they they get in the first little hiccup of training, and they're like, oh, well, we can't do this and give up. And now now they have a dog, that's that high strung and that you know driven to to work and now they don't work it so yeah that's that's the big thing and that that was another thing too I didn't want to become a, that statistic either so I didn't want to quit give up on that so I didn't want to be yeah. that guy because
0: how many hours of training did you put in roughly right before I mean before you really started to go full bore search and rescue cadaver work
1: um so when he was under a year old I was up every morning at four o'clock doing obedience with him and yep. just knocking that edge off before I had to have him in the kennel all day while I was at work. So I would get him up, I'd run him, you know, play some fetch, play a little two ball, which is basically if they don't have a good out, like they don't want to drop the ball. Cause some Malinois, they don't, they don't like to give the toy up. So, and a lot of times that equals your hands getting bit. So, where if you have another one, they'll drop the one they have in their mouth and go chase the other one. So um, played a lot of that and worked obedience in with that, and, and then I knocked the edge off for the day. And then by the time I got home from work, he'd be ready to go again. So he, it was it was training all the time. If I was not at work, I was training. Yeah. And so and then once we got into working odor, it got even worse. Uh, so it was I was coming home on my lunch breaks to run him on odor and yeah just to to keep him fresh and keep his curiosity up and and keep him going. So once whereas now he's so used to that that tempo that I can take a day or two off or take a you know if we go on vacation I take a week off and and he still has it yeah. So that's, that's the part where now we're kind of, he's where he needs to be. And we're just maintaining. So unless a new problem arises during a search and we have to train accordingly. So that's kind of where we're at. So now it's the fun part where we're just learning new stuff.
0: That's cool. You mentioned uh, uh, folks maybe being able to more or less like job shadow, you know, handlers. What is that? Do you have people job shadow you and, and kind of follow you around a little bit?
1: Uh, depending. Um, I I've had a couple people, uh, but then some people like we'll take them out and it's kind of one of those things where it's like, Hey, we as handlers want to also test them and see where their mental like commitment is. So we'll take them out and we'll, we'll put a ruck on their back and that will make them follow us all day. So after that, they're like, "Uh, maybe this isn't for me. So. (laughs) Yeah, so it. I've had two people that, that want to, you know, come and join and, and think about getting into it. And then, you know, after a week, they're like, ah, um, this isn't for me. So,
0: yeah, yeah, that's cool. So, I know when we were on the phone uh, last week, we talked about, um, and you mentioned it too, that cadaver dogs more or less being the exception in search and rescue world, which I think is Lent lent itself to you a little bit, being able to do some really cool trainings and kind of demonstrations and stuff. What are some of the cool things that you've been able to kind of go do with Jacoby given the skills that
1: you've helped uh, develop? Oh man. So (laughs) this is, this is the part that I love. So we do not fall under anyone. Uh, We don't fall under a department. We don't fall under a major organization. It is me and him. So, the fact that we have that freedom, I don't have department funding issues. I don't have any of that stuff holding me back. So if I have the purse to foot it, I can say, okay, well, let me just spend the money and I can, I can go do whatever training I want. So that was kind of where we got our freedom. And that was, that's, this is going to kind of transition into how we got, mixed in with the, with the guard. So, um, we basically work for ourselves and then people just use us. So we got to, and that's, that's the thing too, is like we, so like, say for example, FEMA handlers, they are set to a certain standard and they will work USAR and USAR only. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe some of them will will branch out and be able to do other things and go as a volunteer to go and do like wilderness and mountain rescue and stuff like that. Uh, but for the most part, um, especially with departments and stuff like that, uh, some fire departments I know that have dogs, they don't want to take that risk of you going out and doing a 200 foot rappel with the dog that they paid for when it's supposed to be doing X mission. So yeah, they don't want to take that chance, whereas we, we don't care. Um, and that was kind of the thing is like, hey, I approached, uh, I was approached by my commander at the time, uh, and he, he's like, hey, you know, basically, what are you about? And so I said, well, this is the standard for search and rescue. This is what everybody looks for uh, when it, and it's off of what FEMA guidelines are. And I was like, well, not one person ever has asked me for FEMA credentials. So I, what what is holding us back from going and being, you know, repel qualified and going and being all this and that and jumping out of helicopters and stuff like that. There's nothing saying we can't do it. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I have the place for you. Uh, so, and that was when I got invited to a domestic operations exercise called the Patriot. Uh, so basically what they do is they bring military entities and civilian entities together and they force them into a search and rescue or, or natural disaster uh, scenario. and we are forced to work together uh, for all the efforts. you know it could be anything from admin to uh, all the aviation stuff. Um, so they that was how we got mixed in. so that was us, being able to throw the kitchen sink at Jacoby. So it was like, Hey, this is either going to make you or break you. And it was definitely life-changing for us. It it helped us out a lot. Um, We got mixed in with all the aviation guys, uh, but I got invited for the planning process of it. So I got to see how everything was planned, how all the logistics worked. Uh, So that was really cool. And then I got to also see who all was going to be there. So off of that, I got to see, hey, we would work well with these guys and we would work well with these guys. So I met a guy, Mississippi Task Force 2 leader. His name is Pierce Clark. He – me and him saw eye to eye. I said, hey, this is my dog. This is what we're capable of. Uh, and they had no idea. They they were like, your dog can do what? Uh, so, yeah, that, it was they – were, they were super interested in – seeing him work on the water and stuff like that because they there's a place down the street from us actually it's called the guardian center um they have like a whole neighborhood they can flood up to the roof line uh so we were doing boat search and rescue and that and they they thought it was the coolest thing ever um so he was like hey we can take this and use it for something that that no one else has used so basically that changed into okay so how do we utilize this one dog handler and this one dog to do something that no one else has done before Um, so basically what they used us for is what we came up with is said hey if there is a scenario that occurs where we cannot get into or like ground teams cannot get into an area whether it be tornado hurricane whatever any kind of disaster by roadway or boat from the ground they will fly me and Jacoby in, drop us out, and then we set up shop in that area. We will set up patient collection points. We will set up uh, all the, we will mark all the buildings for damage reports, finding live and dead people. Um, and then once we're able to decipher that puzzle, then we can say, hey, um, they drop a support guy in with me and then they can set up an LZ for the helicopter to get those people out. So that's how I got used.
0: (laughs) So walk, walk me through this then, because that to me sounds like a lot of fun. Like you literally get dropped off. You get to go play with helicopters, (laughs) thrown out of planes, all the fun stuff to go help people. Now it, to me, it sounds like you guys are kind of like the wonder twins. And (laughs) I mean, a lot of those things to me don't sound like they are inherently known, right? Like you don't know, like we talked about this, you don't necessarily know how to rig up a dog to be able to rappel out of a helicopter. You don't know how to rappel with a dog off of a mountain, all of these things, or be able to function in a waterlogged environment, stuff like that. What did you do to train you and Jacoby to be able to function in these environments, right? Were there other certifications? Was it, you know, YouTube university? I mean, how did you go about learning these things?
1: Um, so I am a hands-on learner. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to do things and see things. Um, so basically what I did is I developed the concept of, and the mindset of, Hey, what's the worst that people can say is no. Right. Yeah. So I called for all the mountain stuff I called. uh, So in Georgia, they run the army ranger school mountain phase. So I called up there and said, Hey, how do I get in touch with your uh, army ranger instructors for the mountain phase stuff, all your mountaineering instructors. And so they got me in contact with one guy and I said, Hey, this is what I'm looking to do. This is what I'm looking to learn. Can you guys help me out? And they were like, we've never had anybody ask us that, but hell yeah. So (laughs) Yeah, they came out with me on a weekend, showed me how to do all the rope stuff, and they were like, "Hey, do you want to do a 150 foot rappel with your dog?" And I was like, "Sure." So they took us out, they showed us how to set up, and then we did the rappel. We did, and then we we played with it. We said, "Hey, this is his equipment. How can we play with it to where you know?" And they did. did we did a several different rappels. We did a rappel where he was below me. We did a rappel where he was above me uh, set up different rigging systems and stuff like that. And, uh, no shit, not even a month later after I learned all that stuff, I had to do it real world. There was a girl that went missing at a, it was like a big ROTC event. She was like in, I think high school age. Uh, it was like a big ROTC event here at like the big boy scout camp. And they said, we can't get into this area it's too thick of brush and we don't have the know-how to get a dog down there. And I was like, well, I do, I just did it. So we hooked him up and we hooked up a system to where, cause the brush was so bad. Um, I was literally just my ruck was pushing stuff out of the way for me. Yeah. Uh, it knocked my GoPro off my helmet and it was, it was insane, but it, yeah, it was about 200 feet down into this big ravine. And right when we got to the bottom is where it cleared up and we were able to search. But the way we had rigged it up is they were able to lower us from the top. So I didn't have to touch any rope. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it was nice. I hooked us up the way I was supposed to hook us up, where he was hanging from me and he kind of just rode in my lap a little bit. And we kind of leaned all the way back and just kind of walked our way down. And they were lowering us from the top. And then once they couldn't see me anymore, it was all radio. I was like, yeah, speed up, slow down, speed up, slow down. And then I was like, hey, I'm unhooked. So that's how that worked. And it was it was definitely eye-opening to be like, hey, this stuff really happens.
0: Yeah. Is it pretty easy for you to get a hold of people to go learn some of these things? Like with the Ranger guys, was it pretty easy to be like, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. This is what I need to know. Or was it like pretty – difficult to kind of get get the information out you needed
1: um so at first with some people yes some people know uh it depends on what you're asking to do um like especially when it comes to like bigger things like we've been trying to establish a relationship with the state patrol to try to fly with them and that's kind of been an uphill struggle um to try to get training scheduled and the right resources in order so if it's a lot of moving parts yeah it's a little difficult, but uh, for the most part, you know, most of what we do is fairly simple. Um, it's just people don't have the know-how or the physical ability to do it. Um, sure. So, yeah, a lot of times, especially when you, like, drop a couple pictures on an email uh, and show, like, hey, he, you know, we're not just your regular just old dude. Yeah. So they they kind of honor it. And they're like, hey, yeah, let, let's do it. You know, and for the most part, people are really eager to work with a dog. Yeah. Yeah. So it's different from their norms. So they, yeah, they jump all over it. Yeah.
0: So I know you'd mentioned that, um, in a way you kind of work for yourself and as long as you've got the purse to go do something, I mean, are you self-funded? Are you getting paid somewhere else? I mean, how are you making, making ends meet, I guess.
1: Yeah. So I'm a hundred percent volunteer. All of our equipment, all of our, our stuff like that, uh, comes out of my own pocket. Yeah. How, however, there are some very, very awesome organizations that have worked with us and are amazing. Um, so the brand uh, Tasmanian Tiger, they've, ga- they've given us all of our packs. Mm. Um, so all of my packs that I wear are all that brand. Uh, so And they, they were super nice uh, working with us. And they, they were out the door and packing up to go to SHOT Show in Vegas and they still overnighted me packs.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. So, and his harness, uh, is not cheap. It is $2,000 just for his money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He gets all the Gucci stuff. Um, but yeah, that was donated to us by an organization called spikes canine fund. Um, it was a former Navy seal canine handler and he, has done some amazing things for some dogs. So yeah, we we've gotten some donations and stuff like that where people say, hey, you know, try this out, try that, try this, you know. So we've definitely gotten a lot of help when it comes to equipment. Um, but for the majority of stuff, like, you know, bump helmets, ropes, all that stuff is coming out of my own pocket.
0: Yeah. Um, if folks are listening to this and they're like, man, I love what you're doing. I mean, how do you do you take donations? How do people get a hold of you?
1: Um, so we actually just had this conversation maybe a couple days ago about taking donations. Normally, normally I don't take donations. You know what we do is, you know, for not for us, it's for the people who are missing. Um, so I, if if people ask, normally my answer is, hey, we'll 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 do a patch trade where I'll give them one of my patches and they'll give me one of theirs. You know, so we have a collection now of of patches. So that's pretty much what we do it for. And other than that, we don't really care. If we get donations, it's, it's cool. But if not, you know, we're not, we're not hating life.
0: Yeah. Awesome, man. So one of my favorite questions uh, to ask folks is, you know, maybe what has been the most rewarding or important thing or thing that you've learned that you wish you'd have known starting into the search and rescue world or training Jacoby or kind of getting to where you're at now that you wish you'd have known when you started
1: the most rewarding thing mm-hmm.
0: or uh or thing that you wish you would have known
1: oh man i wish I'd have knew, i it. i wish i would have known just a little bit about dog training <laughs> 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 yeah or what i was getting myself into with that breed uh no so i think the most rewarding thing is it, it's more so of hard work pays off you know what what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it so the more effort you put into it the more you're going to get from it um there is nothing on planet earth right now that is more satisfying than to get called out on something real and watch him go like watch him be able to go to work the way he does and be able to work with him as a team and even though we're not talking to each other, we're communicating the whole time. Yeah. So that that part to me is probably the most rewarding is being able to, to see him and see our, our hard work pay off. So, I mean, if I could talk to my younger self, you know, getting into it, I'd just be like, hey, just stick with it. Yeah, that's awesome.
0: So then what advice do you have for people that might want to uh... – maybe get a Malinois or go into search and rescue or anything kind of in your world, what advice do you have for people aspiring to, uh, you know, learn from you?
1: Uh, definitely make sure that you're honest with yourself. Uh, if you're honest with yourself, you can't go wrong. Um, so, and that, that's been the biggest thing for me is, you know, I, I knew what type of person I, I was, I was, and I knew that my personality and I knew that, I wasn't the type of person to shy away from some hard work Um, so that you have to, you have to be a different, different animal to, to be able to handle one of these dogs. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where you're always going to butt heads with each other. Uh, So be prepared for that. And it's just one of those things where once you get over that hump, it's once you get over that hump, everything is, it'd be the best experience of your life. So if I had to give advice, I mean, it, it would be, it, if you think you're that type of person, go for it. Cause it, it it's definitely, we need handlers there. I'm the only handler right now for this, this area of the state. Yeah. So yeah, it, we need people we need, you know, cause I mean, there's going to come a time where he's going to retire and that's, that's the nature of the beast. So and it's, you know, somebody it'd be nice to know that I have the confidence in somebody in this area or, you know, just in the state or in in the cadaver world in general to be like, Hey, you know, they're going to, they're there to back us up. And they're going to fill his shoes when he's gone. So that's, that's the big thing is definitely, if you think you can do it, then by all means go for it. Yeah.
0: And, uh, how would you suggest people get either plugged in or maybe uh, reach out to you if you're up to it to, uh, you know, maybe take their first steps into, uh, their handling world.
1: Yeah, definitely. So I'm on all social media platforms. I have, you know, my biggest ones are Facebook and Instagram. You can find me on there. Uh, Jacoby's Instagram name is, uh, at SAR underscore dog underscore Jacoby. And, uh, yeah, I, anybody that messages me, I'll, I'll reply back to them. Um, I've definitely had people reach out like, Hey, you know, there are other handlers from other States and they reach out and Hey, can we come train? You know, we try to link up and do some stuff like that. So um, yeah, definitely reach out. And then uh, we in the, the other Avenue as well as Facebook is a huge thing. Uh, you can look for volunteer teams on Facebook. Some of them have Facebook pages. Uh, but the biggest thing is, is if you want to go right to the source, contact your, your state's emergency management folks. Uh, there's every state's got one. Um, you can talk to those guys and be like, hey, how do I get started in this? You know, and they'll, they'll tell you, you know, you got to get your rescue specialist cert, you got to get your, you know, FEMA classes done. There's like online FEMA classes you got to do. Uh, so just the bare minimum, just to even be able to go and do that type of work. Um, so definitely, yeah, and then volunteer. There's some states that have, you know, other Georgia's not huge, huge on search on search and rescue, but there's some states like Montana, man, they 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 have a huge presence for it. So uh, when I was up there, they they had a big thing, you know. Uh, some people get into ski patrol, you yeah. know, if you have a state that snows, you know, that's a good way to get into it. Um, there's a lot of avenues you could take, but yeah, definitely emergency management is where I went, and you know, I was like, hey, how do I how do I do this? awesome
0: man well i think i think i'm out of questions is there anything that we maybe didn't cover didn't get to didn't talk about that you're like dude this is important to me to uh to talk about and share
1: um i mean we could talk about like some of the the fun aspects of it because i mean it's not all training yeah um so some of it some of it is a lot of fun uh I definitely have some some w- wild stories because uh, when we were going on those exercises, uh, man, I'd have people, I'd have to take him through the airport and yeah. <laughs>
0: He's it, probably all wired up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, and it was, when I, when he, it was our first, our first trip together, uh, we flew from Atlanta to Gulfport, Mississippi. Okay. And it was for a planning meeting and it, it was so nerve wracking because I knew what kind of dog he was. And I knew that he wasn't necessarily fond of new people. And he, I was so nervous trying to get on that flight and he, I had to, I, he was muzzled. Everybody was looking at us like we were crazy. And <laughs> yeah, it was, it was insane. Uh, and I, had like one of the other, I had another trainer that, you know, we would work with and stuff like that. And she was like, Hey, you know, if you that worried about it, slip him, like it's a little, little drug they take the vet gave it to me. I gave it to me. She's like, just quarter it up and give him just a little piece of it is trazodone and completely knocked him out. <laughs> he was, he, I'm telling you, he was an angel on that flight. <laughs> it was like 30 they gave us like the 30 minute call before our our boarding time and i i like popped one right in his muzzle and he ate it and (laughs) yeah he uh he was an angel there was a there was even a lady who was sitting behind us because he sat at my feet there was a lady who sat behind us when we landed we got up and he jumped up into the seat uh like trying to get out into the aisle. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I didn't even know there was a dog there. Like, <laughs> That's a good thing. That's a good thing.
0: <laughs> You're like he was drooling. He was totally passed out. No big deal. Yeah. We uh yeah, my, no. it's funny. My uh, my mother-in-law had a a golden doodle at one point, and that that dog was hell on wheels. And at one point, I don't remember what she got, but they were they were pills too. And I, I can't remember, but I, we gave them to, you know, you'd give them to all the dogs at one point. I think it's probably over the 4th of July and like, they are all just completely KO'd on the floor. We had like four dogs passed out in our living room, just like drooling everywhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a miracle for some dogs, but yeah. And, and it, it helped. It helped in the long run with his stress and stuff like that. And then yeah. once, once he figured it out, we made it, we made it into like a training session, you know, like once he got off the plane and stuff like that, it was like, we threw a huge party for him. Like, yeah, that was awesome. You know? And that shows him like, Hey, that plane equals fun. So if yeah. I fly, on, I fly on that, I get to play after I get off. So yeah, we took him out in the parking lot, played with him and that kind of stuff. So yeah. And then we flew, we flew from Atlanta to Wisconsin. Oh man. We landed in Wisconsin and I get off the plane and they put him, I, I let him ride in his kennel cause the planes were a little smaller. So I let him ride in his kennel underneath and he, cause at least in there, I know he can lay down and stuff like that. And there's not people messing with him. And yeah. um, he's not having to walk through uh, all those people. So he flew uh, from Atlanta to Wisconsin. And when we got to the other side, I was went to pick him up from the oversized bag- baggage claim. And, there's like, like four different Delta employees huddled around his kennel. And then there's like all these different people and they all have like clipboards and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So we walk up and they're like, Hey, is this your dog? And I was like, like in my head, I'm like, no, I'm just here to take the kennel. And they're like, <laughs> so, and I'm like, yes, that's my dog. And they're like, we have an embargo with flying animals into this airport and I was like, uh, well, we're here now. So, and I was like, we're going to be here for the next like few months, like flying in and out of here. And yeah. so the, finally the one, they, they didn't know what to do. And so they asked me, they were like, can you take him out of the kennel? And I was like, uh, you guys need to stand back so I can get a leash on him. Cause when he comes out, he's like a spring loaded. Right. So, they, they stepped away. We pulled him out of the kennel, you know, they checked the kennel and made sure it was up to their standards to fly and stuff like that, which it was. Um, so, and then as we're standing there, this guy comes running up to us and like my commander at the time, he, he almost had to stop the guy. He was like, Hey, uh, whoa. And so, and he's like, is that a Belgian Malinois? And I was like, yeah, it is. And he's like, Oh, I want one of those so bad. <laughs> and so, and his wife is standing with him. And I, the only thing I said to him was, "If you can't work them, don't get them." Yeah. And she was. She looked at him like I told you. Right. And so yeah, it, it was like I crushed his dreams right there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it, yeah, definitely, definitely some crazy, crazy stories with going in and out of airports and and stuff like that. So yeah, um, definitely got to do some cool stuff with that task force team. Uh, We did one mission, like a training mission that was, it was cool because we finally, like the planets aligned and we got to incorporate all of our, um, he's coming to say, hey.
0: Yeah, I see that. (laughs) I've seen him running around in the back and you can hear (laughs) his little tip taps. It's pretty funny.
1: Yeah, so, but uh, we, uh, that training mission, um, we're sitting at the medevac. Um, we're sitting at the medevac shack uh, there, the Volkfield, Wisconsin. It's a, like a CRCT base, which is combat readiness training center. Um, we're sitting up there waiting to get on the helicopter, waiting to get our, so they basically call the nine line in for us. Uh, so when they call the nine line in, you know, it says, Hey, we're requesting K nine support, blah, blah, blah. So the scenario that we got was there were six jumpers out of a C-17 And they had a bad jump. They jumped at the wrong time. So, um, they made comms with three, four, four of them. One of them was injured. And then one, they couldn't find, uh, that they believe to be deceased because they couldn't make radio contact with him. So, uh, they flew me and my support guy out. Uh, they dropped us off and, They basically did, those guys did a search and found all the live people and me and Jacoby went off on our own and ended up, they had the dummy sitting in the woods and the cadaver box sitting next to it. It was cool. (laughs) Yeah. So they, they made it realistic you know, he was sitting up next to a tree, like he had hit the tree with the parachute and, you know, landed in the trees and, and died. But, uh, yeah, so made the find, called everything in. Radioed the helicopter in, picked us up, and we were out of there. And you know, we all got the patients on. And I think there was there's a YouTube video of the whole thing.
0: Oh, is there? Yeah. Dude, so, you have to send it to me. I'll I'll add it to the link.
1: Okay. Yeah. The so, episode. Yeah. Yeah. So and you can you can see I got the patient litter and the patient on the litter in one hand and Jacoby in the other hand, <laughs> like sliding the guy onto the <laughs> helicopter. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think it just de- definitely the experience of where we started to where we ended up. I never in my wildest dreams would have ever thought that would have been possible. Yeah. So well, how we started as a, Hey, I'm just going to have him as a hiking buddy and maybe do some shed hunting with him to what it turned into was in- insane. So that's, that's my biggest thing was Hey, if you get into it, there's, like I said, it, it's what you get out of it. So if you have the drive to do that type of stuff and want to do that stuff and are willing to put the work in to do it, then you can do it.
0: That's interesting. That's like ultimate flexibility in like where your life is going. It's just kind of saying, all right, let's roll with it. Sounds fun. Cool. Let's do it. All right. Yeah. Dog's eye strong. I don't like to say no. Let's get after it, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like the first time, oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. The first time. So he is he he is the first dog to ever be hoisted in a helicopter with the Mississippi Army Guard. Yeah. So that was kind of cool that we got that on our our resume. Um, But uh, the way that went down was like looking back on it, I'm like, what was I doing?
0: (laughs) A little traumatic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So so basically the we had the crew chief, we had just got done with our water searches that day and the crew chief and they were they were basically doing their training like their bucket training so they drop a basket into the water with that uh, and they get somebody out of the water they put them in the basket and then they they do what's called a short haul where they they basically pick the person up and they're dangling from the helicopter okay. in the basket and then they fly them over somewhere and just drop them on the, on, mm, on the ground got it they were doing that and we we were sitting there just watching them and you know, it was almost that time where you know, hey, it's about that time to start cracking beers and just relaxing for the rest of the day. And uh, <clears throat> he, the crew chief, and the the flight medic were with us, and they were like, "Hey, you know, we were kind of just BSing back and forth and do that." And they were like, "What?" And I was like, "Yeah, you, you, we had the equipment. You can hoist Jacoby and I with that with the helicopter." And they were like. <laughs> They were like, "That's impossible," and I was like, "No, I can show you." And so I walked them over and walked them through the harness and everything else like that. And like, "Hey, this is how it would hook up. This is what this is rated for. These are the the carabiners that we use, and this, that, and the other." And I'm like, "It could work." And so they're like, "Well, we would have to clear it through our commander." And so I was like, "We'll make a phone call." So they called. <laughs> they called, and their commander was like, "Do it." He's like, I don't care what he's like, whatever you guys need, just do it. And so I was like, okay, here we go. Like it's now real. So we go back and we get everybody, we get the pilots woke up and they're like, Hey, like this is what we're trying to do. You want to go do it? And And everybody was like, yeah, let's do it. And so it was kind of one of those things where it's like, careful what you ask for. Uh, because <laughs> you now, might get it. <laughs> yeah. Cause you might get it. Yeah. So and it, it was like, okay now. And like, I'm not like a big roller coaster guy. I'm not like, you know, so, and now they're like, Hey, you know, and they're, they're doing a pre-mission brief and they're like, we need to hurry up and get this done. They're talking about aircraft need to be down by a certain time and blah, blah, blah. And so they're like, what do you need from us? I was like, just put us on the hoist on the ground just to get him used to it and see how he's going to hang for me and then we'll go from there and so they're like all right do it so they run and go put power on the helicopter because we had like i don't know it was like an hour and so they're they're like they come out and so and they're doing the mission briefing and they're like hey we're gonna go in, we're gonna go into a hover at about 150 almost 200 feet and i'm like uh, that's up there yeah right and we're dangling, and I don't know if you've ever seen the hoist on a the rescue hoist on a helicopter. Mm-mm. It's a steel cable that is smaller than a pencil. Nice. That so you're dangling from that, and you're like, okay, yep. So here we go. So we literally walk out there. We hook up to the helicopter while it's on the ground. I. They like basically just picked us up, and then I was like, okay, that's. You know, everything looks good to me. And so we unhooked and they're like, we got to get in the air. So we we come up and we <laughs> we let him we let him around the, the helicopters the day before. You know, so he was kind of used to the noise and the rotor wash and stuff like that. So uh, he the crew chief is calling me while he's in the air and he's like, hey, where are you guys at? He's like, we're in the air looking for you. And I'm like looking up and I'm like, there's like seven helicopters in the air right now. <laughs> like, Which one are you guys? And so, yeah. And, so, and then luckily one of the task force guys is like, Hey, you're the guys with the dog. Like you're going with us. And we were in the wrong area. So we ran and he was like, you guys got 15 minutes to be off the ground. And I was like, Oh boy. So he had one of his guys come up and they hooked us up and you know, everybody wanted to stop and take pictures with us. And he, you know, it's loud cause the helicopter and they're like, can we get a picture? Yeah. So it was, it was crazy, but they, it was like a 15 minute ordeal and we were out of there. Like it, they hooked us up. We went up, got up to the thing and we were in the helicopter and that was that. It was like, boom, there it was. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but then when you then when you look at it, when you look at the video, you're like, oh my God, like I didn't have a bump helmet on. I had sunglasses on and that was it. And it was like, <laughs> I, had, I, borrowed, I borrowed a rescue harness that wasn't even mine. And so, yeah, but luckily they invited us back out uh, to Mississippi where we could take our time with it and really go over like how we were going to do it, the best way to hook up. And we did it several different times. I think we hoisted probably three or four times that, that go around and it was, it was a good time. Yeah. So yeah, we, and then we did it real world where they flew us around their base and then did it. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. So. That's awesome. That sounds like a lot of fun. That's like,
0: that's high. That's that to me is like adrenaline. Like adrenaline pumping, fun, random experience. Like your average dude doesn't get, you know?
1: Yeah, it was definitely one of those memorable times where I'm sitting, so, you know, they they give you the go-ahead, the crew chief will check all your stuff, and then you scoot to the door, and you're hanging with your feet out the door, and then he says, okay, we're on approach. And then when he says he's on approach, you unhook your comm set, and then he pushes you out. And so when he pushes you out, you're just dangling there. You can't hear anything anymore because you're not on comms. And then it's just you and the dog. And I remember hanging out. It was about, I would say, 150 feet, something like that, 200 feet. And we're coming in on approach. And I remember just looking over to my right and just seeing the tail rotor slap in the air and I was like that there's no one else that's going to be able to like very few people that can say they they got to do that kind of stuff so it's kind of one of those things where it was like you forget how high you are off the ground just dangling there and you just like enjoy the view and kind of take the moment in yeah so definitely definitely one of the things I can take away from you know there's some people where they're like oh well, we get to you know some jobs like I know you had Aaron on the other day, like he, he does that stuff on a daily basis. But for, for me who started as a volunteer from nothing, you know, and then didn't know anything about dogs to that, you know, it was kind of one of those things where it's like, man, you know, my takeaway from it is like, Hey, that was, that was a once in a lifetime thing.
0: Yeah. A roller coaster of a life and experience. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I'm jealous. That's cool. Awesome, man. Well, what else?
1: Um, I can tell you about my, my very first search. Let's hear it. Okay. So my very first search, uh, was definitely wild. Uh, so we show up and I was in, so for that one, I was in a, in a support role. So I was not, Jacoby was not certified at the time. So, you know, legally I wasn't allowed to use him. Um, would he have done well? I think maybe, you know, it wouldn't have been like, The best thing the best idea but as far as last last resort maybe Mm -hmm. um but yeah so i was in a support role i was shadowing another handler uh and she's like hey will you come help me on a search and i'm like sure so we go out to alabama um and she's like it's with the fbi and i'm like awesome you know so (laughs) we show up and it was their their state patrol their state bureau of investigation the fbi uh a drug task force and there was like another law enforcement department that was there as well lots of people yeah. uh, so it was kind of i was shell-shocked for a second because it's like hey this is like and then they start briefing you in on on stuff like that they like intel that they got and you're like holy cow like this is like stuff you would kind of see in the movies uh, so it was definitely kind of surreal at that point where it hit me like, Hey, this is what you're getting into. Um, so we go out and they're like, Hey, uh, you guys' dogs are certified through police organizations. Correct. And we were like, well, mine's not, but he is eventually, but then hers was as well. So uh, we're like, yeah. So they're like, Hey, you guys are going to come with us. And that was the drug task force guys. And we were like, okay. So, we're doing we like they're like we're going and then this other group of handlers were going somewhere else to search um and they were basically going off of where they were pinging the the suspects like cell phone so we're doing we're on like these two-lane highways and we're doing over 100 miles an hour and i'm like where are we going i just like no one said anything and i just was like it was quiet and i was like all right time to break the ice like where are we going Okay. and the guy driving it, we're in trucks like it's like a regular self, chevy silverado like you would not know this was a cop car but it had, <laughs> lights. it had lights all over it and i'm like holy cow and uh they had all the the instruments like taped over so they they don't project any light and stuff like that and i was like hey, you know like it was all kind of weird and i'm like hey where, where are we going right so they're like the the driver turns around and looks at me and he's like, "We're going to hit the family members' houses," and I was like, "All right." <laughs> so we show up and they start they start kicking in doors and I'm this is my first search. I'm like, "What in the world?" So they start kicking in doors, you know, and they they obviously do their due diligence. It wasn't like a no knock thing where a SWAT team goes in, uh, but they call, you know, obviously there's no answer, and then so they they go and kick the door in, and then they had the dog search the house and they're taking stuff. They're taking mail. They're taking, uh, you know, any drugs that they found they took. Uh, and so, you know, it, it was crazy. Uh, and then we went and searched another, like, it was like a whole rock quarry. Um, but yeah. And then at the end I had to leave a day early and the, the day that I left, they found the little girl that they were looking for. So, yeah. but yeah, at least, you know, at least they brought her home, but yeah, it was, wild for a first search. I, I went home like, what the heck? You know Get into. <laughs> yeah, so it's like in my in like my 9 to 5 is aircraft maintenance. So like I turn wrenches and I'm like I you know, I go back and do that and I'm like, you know, and people are like, what'd you do this weekend? And I'm like, you wouldn't believe it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so but now my coworkers they're you know, they ask me all the time, like, do you get into any trouble this weekend? I'm like, no, not this weekend.
0: <laughs> they know what they're they know what they're getting into now. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, shoot, we'll have to uh get together again. And uh maybe uh maybe uh, a couple weeks down the road you'll have some some more fun stories and we can share. But uh this was awesome, man. I'm jealous. You live a fun freaking life.
1: Yeah, it's definitely definitely enjoyable, that's for sure. Definitely have a good time doing it. And that's like, I know that I can't do this forever with him. Um, So that's why I'm in, I'm in school full time or, you know, for the most part full time now and trying to get into nursing where I can hopefully end goal be a flight nurse. So I can still somewhat have that kind of adrenaline rush and and be in that high pace, you know, atmosphere. So that's when he's going to sit on the couch for, the rest of his days <laughs>
0: You'd be resentful of it <laughs> yeah, yeah he funny. liked
1: it though man I'll, I'll have to i'll definitely send you some of the links for for the videos and stuff but yeah there's times man like so we have what's called like a monkey tail um and that's how we hook up our safety uh line to the helicopter once we get in it's basically ours our seat belt once we're out of the seat yeah um so and yeah like when he starts to see me unhook from that like he knows we're getting out and his tail starts wagging and you know most he's dogs for be, it yeah most dogs would be pissing themselves but yeah he's he's all for it yeah and then like they're they're doing their pre-flights and he sees the blades start spinning and he's like hey we're like we're going like this yeah. is it <laughs> so,
0: that's-, <laughs> that's awesome man okay well uh any uh any parting thoughts
1: no nope, other than just hey, if you're gonna if you're going to get into this definitely reach out bounce any questions you guys have off of me I'm, I'm a wealth of knowledge especially now not coming from not knowing anything to reading all the books that i could on odor and cadaver and stuff like that so if you're curious yeah i'm a super easy person to talk to so just reach out
0: okay sounds good awesome thanks man yep Dylan, once again, man, thanks for taking the time and, uh, and hanging out with me and uh, sharing your story about uh, how you got into search and rescue, uh, training up Jacoby, all the fun stuff that you do. I hope uh, everybody listening, I hope you all took something uh, something fun away from this, maybe uh, got excited, maybe uh, some interest in volunteering. I will link uh, in the episode description uh, Dylan's uh, Instagram handle, so feel free to uh, reach out to him, like you said, if you got any questions. Um, but otherwise, uh, that is it for today. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and we will catch you next time.